Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. This is Felicia Gopal. Today we're going to be interviewing Chuck Moore, who is the president and founder of the Education Literacy and Student Athletic Centers in Kentucky. I met Chuck about three or four years ago at a National Institute of Certified College Planning Specialist. He was actually one of the speakers there. One of the things that made me want to interview Chuck is he is a certified athletic financial consultant. He is an expert at working at student athletes. And today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having Chuck talk to us. He brings to us more than 26 years of experience in the areas of working with families in the areas of college financial literacy and athletic marketing issues. And he's been interviewed and appeared on numerous local and radio TV interviews. And he's been published. He's been doing all sorts of things. So I just ask that you listen very carefully to what Chuck has to say if you've got a student athlete, because I think Chuck will be able to bring you some great information that you'll be able to use as soon as you need to. Again, please join me in welcoming Chuck Moore. Chuck? Yes. How are you doing, Felicia? I'm great, Chuck. How are you doing this morning? Well, it's a little chilly this morning down here, but we'll live through it. All right. It's a little chilly up here, too. But first of all, Chuck, I just want to ask you just some background questions. How long have you been involved in helping student-athletes and their families? Well, I have been basically doing this for, uh, like you had mentioned before, uh, over 26 years. In dealing with individual student-athletes and their families, I've been concentrating on that now for, I would say, pretty close to uh, 12 to 15 years well, uh, 15 because years. of the need. And what needs do student-athletes have? Well, a lot of them are not familiar on how to appropriately market or get themselves exposed to individual college coaches. There are several different systems out in the general public that they can utilize, but most of these are labeled as what is called athletic recruiting services. And what I would like to emphasize to any individual listening to this recording is that, number one, an athlete or their parents cannot recruit the student-athlete. A college coach is the only one that can recruit an athlete. High school students or any students that's wanting to go to play on to the next level they have to learn how to market themselves. So there's a big difference between recruiting and marketing. You know, I'm not sure that I understand that. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. What is um, the difference between marketing? I would think that it was the same thing. No. On a recruiting standpoint, college coaches or their staff, 
they look out into the general community, either within the state structure or through, let's say, sports camps or things along those lines, to look at a student, to evaluate them, to see whether or not they have the athletic ability to be able to play for a particular program. So therefore, when they look at an individual student, either through game films or through any type of sporting events and things like that, they're actually seeing the student-athlete, and they're evaluating whether or not they have the ability to play. If the coaches feel like that the student does have the ability to play, then they're going to start contacting, send the individual information about their colleges and the universities sending them brochures on the colleges and basically introducing the college to the individual student. So, therefore, they're in the process of recruiting or trying to draw the student into their facilities. Now, on a marketing standpoint, is it's no different than if, for example, your student were to go through college, for example, and they get their degree. One of the things that you've got to realize is that for them to get a job position, the individual graduate must get themselves noticed out into the area in which they're wanting to work in. So, therefore, they would start contacting different job opportunities and such. So that is the way it's done with the athlete. The athlete must get his name or her name out to the colleges and universities that they're interested in attending and notify the individual colleges of their interest. So it's a big difference in recruiting. Recruiting is evaluating the student's athletic ability, and marketing is getting your information into the source that could potentially recruit you. So they're two different things. That's great information, and it's very similar to what you're doing as you were a traditional student. A traditional student who is not necessarily an athlete is still marketing themselves to the schools that they're looking to attend, and then the schools are also looking at them and evaluating them to figure out whether or not they want them to attend. So it seems like it's very similar to what a traditional student goes through. However, it may be a longer process, if you will, as a student athlete. Is that an accurate assumption? That is correct. Okay, perfect. So let me ask you, and to kind of step back, did your interest in, in working with student-athletes kind of grow out of your interest in athletics, or were you a student-athlete? How did that How did that come to pass? Yes, I was recruited out of uh, high school by several Division One and Division Two schools for athletic scholarships playing football and basketball. And I learned right off the bat is that the individual student-athlete particularly is put at a disadvantage because of several reasons, is that they're not looking basically at the type of institution that can give them what I call the primary reason for the student-athlete going to college, and that is to get a well-founded education. To be honest with you, the only reason that I went to college was to play football. Okay. That is not the way these student-athletes should look at the college process because there's less than 1% of all student-athletes that will go on to the next level, which is the professional level. So, therefore, the chances of them getting to the pros is very, very slim. So what the student-athletes should concentrate on 
not only in playing athletics, but to get a high-quality education that can provide them the type of standard of living that they would like to live once they get their degree. So that is the primary purpose, is the education. And I learned that through my experience. Every star athlete out there or one that does have the potential of playing at the next level, they all feel like that they can possibly go on to play professional sports. Okay. That is not true in the majority of the situations. Hmm. I think that's going to be a disappointment. A lot of the students who might be listening to this are going to think, well, they're talking about other students. They're not talking about me. Me, I'm going to be different. Yes, that is typical. But then again, the competition at the next level, for example, the competition that the individual student is facing in high school is just like daylight and dark when they move up to the next level, which will be in college. When I went in and basically got all state honors and such like that for two or three years while I was playing in high school, so I was the big fish in the pond, per se. But once I got up to the Division One level, I found out very, very quickly is that now all of a sudden I was the small fish in the pond because I was playing against athletes that were just as athletic as I was. They were bigger than I was. They were more mature than I was, and they were just as fast and much stronger than I was because of the age. So, therefore, it is a big shock for a lot of student-athletes that are going to the next level thinking that they're going to step in and be the next Michael Jordan or the next, you know, Tiger Woods. It just does not happen unless you're extremely talented, and those are far between. There are athletes out there, particularly into what I call the revenue sports, and that is football and basketball. Now, you see a lot of freshmen right now playing for a lot of Division I basketball teams and football teams. These individual students basically is what you call blue-chip candidates, and these individuals basically have tremendous athletic ability. But you've got to understand that the majority of the scholarship, athletic scholarships that are given out there, is not given out in what you call the revenue sports, which once again is football and basketball. The majority of the athletic scholarships that are rendered out there is in what is called non-revenue sports, such as swimming, cross-country, diving, field hockey, soccer, volleyball, lacrosse. Things like this, these are basically sports that does not turn a large amount of revenue into these colleges and universities, but yet there's more student-athletes playing your non-revenue sports than what they're playing revenue sports. So therefore, with that assumption, these individual students should use the athletic scholarships, if they're lucky enough to get one, to enjoy their college life, and also to enjoy the competition because they love the sport, but always keep in mind that academics comes first over athletics. Well, that's a good message to hear because one of the things that I keep hearing when I watch TV and all that is they always have a special on, you know, how many student athletes are not graduating from college and, you know, get hurt while they're in college and then they don't really have a fallback position. So what you're saying is your position coming into sports at the collegiate level is academics first, 
and then have your sport support your academics. That is correct. It is a ticket to help reduce the cost of the college education on behalf of the family because of the athletic ability of the individual students. I have a very, very close friend that played for the National Basketball Championship team of 1986, which was the University of Louisville. The individual was the second uh, best player in the state of Kentucky. He was recruited by the University of Louisville. He went in, and he had several records there at the University of Louisville, but never had the capability, nor did he get the opportunity, per se, to go on to the next level. So he did get a very high-quality education and probably right now is earning a very, very good income. So the educational standpoint has got to be the primary purpose of any student-athlete or any student that attends college. I can see how important that would be. So let me ask you, is there a process to marketing students who are looking for athletic scholarships or athletic awards? Yes, there is a process that all students should basically go through. I normally recommend individual students that are showing athletic ability, even as far down as in the eighth grade, definitely without a doubt, starting to look at the marketing process as early as the ninth grade or the sophomore year in high school. Now, the reason for this is that, number one, if they have or shows the athletic ability, they can then start basically making, and I want everyone to understand this, a personal relationship with the college coaches. Because what these college coaches' job position is, is that they have to perform and recruit high-quality athletes that can produce a winning record or be competitive on a high standard of athletic levels. So therefore, you have the time by starting your marketing process as early in the high school year as you possibly can to start showing an individual college coach or a college that you're interested in attending and building a personal relationship with the individual coach. To give you a perfect example, if I'm an individual athlete here, let's say playing baseball or whatever, well, there's a lot of baseball players out there. Some of them are blue chips. Some of them are not blue chips. So, therefore, the non-blue chip athlete, which is the majority of the athletes that are getting the scholarships, are not being noticed outside of a 75-mile radius of their hometown. Okay. So, therefore, for them to get noticed, they have to take a proactive approach and get their information out to the college coaches or the colleges that they potentially want to play for. So therefore, you're keeping the college coach up to date as you progress through high school. You keep them up to date on your athletic achievements as well as your academic achievements. Now, I go back to the academic achievements once again, and I always tell individual student-athletes is that if you cannot compete academically, you cannot compete athletically because you have to meet certain academic standards to be qualified or eligible to play at the next level. And this is where a lot of individual student-athletes are having problems, is that they're not excelling in academics while in high school, and their athletic ability is what's promoting them to get notice, let's say, from colleges and universities. 
However, if the individual student-athlete cannot compete on an academic standpoint and meet certain standards, then why should a college coach come in and recruit that individual student if they cannot keep a competitive level of academics? Because if they don't keep their academics up, they cannot play intercollegiate athletics. So it's very important during the high school years to concentrate just as much on your academics as you are on your athletic ability. Now, making a personal relationship with the coach will keep them up to date as you progress through high school. And as you progress through high school, of course, you're going to get stronger. You're going to mature during those particular years. And as your athletic ability starts maturing, and your accomplishment starts rising, now all of a sudden the individual coach that you're basically providing this information now is keeping a record on how you're doing through your high school years, in which now all of a sudden they can start taking notice of the individual athlete and possibly start the recruiting process. So I heard you say that you will probably be noticed within a 75-mile radius of wherever you're going to high school. Yes. I guess that's because the colleges in that radius will already be looking for athletes who are coming from their area. So if part of your marketing is looking at schools that are beyond your 75-mile radius, that's really when you're really doing more of the marketing, trying to get your name out there, trying to get them to notice you. Is that an accurate statement? That is correct. For example, let's assume I wanted to play football for Bear Bryant down in Alabama. That was in my era. Okay. is not going to get the local newspaper clippings that I've accomplished up in, in the state of Kentucky and things along those lines. So, therefore, if I'm interested in playing for a Division One school or a Division Two, Three, or NEIA school outside of my local media area to enhance my exposure, I need to get personally get my information out to these colleges and universities because they have never heard of me before. So therefore, there's where the proactive approach of going out and saying, Coach, you know, my name is so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so. I have investigated your sports program. Am I very thrilled of possibly having the potential of playing uh, for you in the near future? And basically give them an introductory level that basically I give to individual students as well as impose on that first introductory letter a actual bio on what you've accomplished so far in relationship to what is your height, what is your weight, how fast do you run the 40-yard dash, what type of achievements have you accomplished while you've been in high school up to a certain date, and things along those lines to where you're giving information and then, of course, notifying the individual coach that you will go ahead and keep him updated or her updated on your accomplishments as you go through high school. So therefore, instead of basically waiting until the senior year all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you're not getting noticed by the schools that you may be interested in doing, you're now making a long-term commitment to these college coaches and building a personal relationship with these coaches. They've heard from you after the end of each season. So, therefore, they're seeing how you're basically accomplishing what you're doing athletically as well as academically on a consistent standpoint. So, therefore, that makes them basically look at you 
not as the typical athlete, but someone that has taken the initiative and keeping these college coaches up to date and therefore building a personal relationship as well as contacts within those colleges and universities to increase your potential of being recruited for athletic scholarships. That just makes a whole lot of sense that you're getting in touch with them, you're keeping them abreast with what's going on, and so that puts you in a better position. And, I mean, it's kind of like what happens in real life after you graduate from college. I mean, if you're looking for a job, your best options are to start marketing yourself prior to getting out of school rather than waiting until the summer before you need your first job to start looking for a job. So it makes sense with what you would do after college, that this is what you would do prior to going to college in order to be in the best position to get the offers that you're looking for. Well, it's just like an individual that is getting their degree, let's say a degree in engineering. This is why a lot of the universities basically have what they call a job placement service for the university. Once you get into your degree program, possibly at the end of your junior year, they recommend you come into the university and start sending your, what, resumes out to potential employers and building a relationship up with these employers, telling them how you're accomplishing your academics and what you're doing in your academic life while in college. You're building a personal relationship up with corporations that could potentially hire you. It is the same process that individual student-athletes should do as early as possible within the high school years. So it is the same process. So it will serve them well once they get into college and are starting to come out of college because they've already learned the process of marketing themselves to first colleges and college coaches and then out into what I'm calling the real world of job placement. You're exactly right. Well, I can see that that would be absolutely invaluable to student-athletes. So let me ask you the question. Sometimes what I find when I'm talking with parents and their students is I'm sitting down with a high school senior, and they're just like, well, you know, we were really expecting to get scholarship offers, and we really haven't gotten the athletic scholarship offers that we were expecting to get. Is it too late for a high school senior at that point in order to get the scholarship offers that, that they were hoping for, oftentimes counting on, in order to send their students to great schools? Not necessarily, but I have to emphasize here is that, number one, and I love this word, and it's called procrastination. <laughs> it's basically what everything deals down to. It seems like every individual or a majority of the individuals that I do consulting work for, they always put things off, particularly the most important things and the things that are most difficult to do. They put these things off to the very last minute. And in doing so, it puts the family as well as the student at a disadvantage, not because of the talent of the student or their academics or whatever, but it is a time element. Because if you're wanting to play at a Division One level, you've got to understand that these coaches are out there watching individual high-quality athletes very early in their high school year. We had an individual here in the state of Kentucky that maybe some of the people in California will recognize his name. The kid's name was A.J. Mayo that's playing for USC. Well, this young man was being recruited by colleges 
when he was in the sixth and seventh grade. Wow. So these coaches are out there looking for your blue chips. Now, these blue chip athletes do have an advantage because of their academic skills early in their lives. But if you look at individual students here that are in the non-revenue sports, and I continue to go back to the non-revenue sports because that's where the majority of the athletic scholarships come from, these kids or these colleges do not have the budget or the recruiting budget in the majority of the cases to spend a lot of money of going out and looking for these high-quality prospects. So, therefore, the student must take on the responsibility themselves to get their information out to these coaches. A lot of the individual parents out there may turn to what they call athletic recruiting professionals. And normally these are websites that they can go in and the website may say that we've got, you know, a list of 3,000 coaches that your information is going to be going out to and all this. We'll help you write your bio, your introductory letter. We'll put a website together for you and things along those lines. Well, the cost for that could range anywhere between, I've seen them go from $350 all the way up to $2,000, $3,000. But if you sit back and say, is this going to benefit my individual student by hiring an association like this to get this information out, you need to sit back and look at how does the college coaches review this type of marketing program. If I were a college coach, and I have coached, but not at the college level, and I were to receive something through an email or whatever, and it's real fancy and things like that, and it was basically spread out all over the website, and it has all the frills and the buttons and everything like this, Here's my first thought is that, number one, this individual student has hired a athletic recruiting service. Therefore, I know that this individual's information is going out not to me, but to several other thousand colleges. So this student, per se, has really not shown a great interest in my college and my athletic program personally because... This student-athlete is just basically trying to take something, throw it up against the wall, and hope something sticks. So why should I take my time in basically putting a lot of time into it of researching this individual? Majority of the times, they will eliminate or actually delete the emails without even looking any further than the first two or three sentences on the page because they're not showing a real interest particularly with their particular college. That's the reason why I recommend when you send out an introductory letter as well as your bio, make sure that it's neat and it's clear and to the point, that it's short, not in any length. The introductory letter should be no more than one page. Your bio should be no more than one page. But indicate to the individual coach that you are interested. And by all means, when you send this out, to them, it should be sent out the majority of the time with your introductory in an envelope that is handwritten by the individual student. And mm. in the introductory letter, you need to tell the individual coach why and how you can benefit their program. 
not why the coach should recruit you. You need to tell them. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I once was working with a parent who had a son who was playing baseball. He was just looking for a position on a baseball team. But one of the things that she did that I thought was really smart, and it seems to kind of key into what you just shared with me, is they did some research on who they recruited in the previous years so that they would have an idea of if he played shortstop, for instance, they would know that they haven't recruited a shortstop in the last couple of years, that the person who's there is getting ready to graduate in a couple of years. So he should probably be able to play probably pretty soon if not maybe the first year or a lot the first year, he would probably be able to play into the second year because the person who was in that position was getting ready to graduate. So is that kind of what you were talking about in terms of the level of interest so that you know what kind of positions? Like if you know that you're a star quarterback but they just brought on a star quarterback last year, they may not be looking for another star quarterback for another couple of years giving this person time to mature. Is that is that right. The the individual student-athlete needs to do their homework in evaluating the schools that they're interested in. To give you a perfect example, the University of Louisville this year had a quarterback by the name of Brian Brom. I played football with his father when I was playing at the University of Louisville. The kid is going to be one of the top draft choices in the NFL this year. However, the individual athlete that was his backup has been with them since his freshman year and is just as good as an athlete as what Brian Brom was, but Brian Brom had the advantage over him of age as well as he was a good field general to where the other individual athlete coming up actually has more athletic talent than Brian Brom does. However, now the individual student that is behind Brian Brom now is going into his senior year. So therefore, he got very, 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 very little playing time his freshman, sophomore, or junior year. Now, this individual athlete could probably have gone to another Division I school and probably would have started at least in his sophomore year. So therefore, what this individual student athlete did not do is research his competition and whether or not he would be able to go ahead and compete with the other players that's on the team or on the roster. So this has to be done by the student-athlete to see whether or not they can compete on an athletic standpoint with the other players that are already on the rosters. There is a website out there that people can subscribe to, and it's College Coaches Online. It has just about every university that is out there that will have the coach's name, their contact number, the roster their division that they're playing in, what level division they're playing in, what conference they're playing in. And it is a tremendous resource for individual students to go in and research these particular colleges that they're interested in. So you're absolutely right. They need to find out how or what position will they be once they get recruited, if they're lucky enough to get a recruited status and get an athletic scholarship. They need to know this well beforehand. Well, that seems to kind of play into what you started our conversation with, which is procrastination, because that seems like a lot of work. I can see why 
people don't do it because it's just like, well, you know, I'm hoping that they'll just want me because of my athletic ability and I won't have to do all that work. But what I heard you say is that for non-revenue producing programs, this is really going to be the key to getting the athletic scholarship that the parents and students are looking for. Is that accurate? They have to look at it on a cost standpoint. Okay. Here's what I tell a lot of individuals is that the majority of the individuals out there, whether athlete or non-athletes, they're looking at every means of potentially paying for the cost of a college education. Now, you've got to take in consideration just because a student athlete gets an athletic scholarship does not guarantee that they're going to get that same athletic scholarship the next year because anyone that has played athletics knows that things happen. What is going to happen if you, for example, were to go to a university that has a price tag of $40,000 a year? and your student gets a full athletic scholarship, and all of a sudden that individual athlete were to get hurt, or let's assume they get upset because they're not getting enough playing time and quit. If they get hurt and it's a career-ending type injury, what would happen if the individual student were to fail academically and couldn't play? These individual students, more than likely the second year, will not get their athletic scholarship renewed. So now all of a sudden the parents are sitting there, the kid's going to a $40,000 a year university, and they're sitting back and saying, how in the world are we ever going to pay for this? So you need to look at the things that I call could happen. Out of the majority of the situations like this, and you see it in the newspaper all the time, is that an individual student is not pleased about his playing time, so therefore what happens? They, what, transfer. When a student athlete or any student transfers to another university, normally you can tack on another year of college because some of the course study is not going to transfer to the other university. So therefore, you've got to go through this process. You're looking at money issues here. So you're using athletics to help offset the cost of the education. I emphasize also to individual parents is do not relive your athletic accomplishments, whether or not you succeeded in athletics in the high school level or college level, or whether or not you were a good high school player but never had the potential of going on and playing at the college level. Do not push your kids into an athletic career just to fulfill your ego. And I see this with a lot of parents, especially the dads. <laughs> football. Football was big in my house. Yes. Football was big in my house. And my father was very disappointed that my youngest brother played at the collegiate level behind somebody who went on to the NFL. But he was very disappointed that my brother didn't continue on. But my brother had an injury in college, and he looked at it. He was just like, they can fix up my knee and I'll be able to play, but will I be able to walk for the rest of my life? And he made the decision that you have talked about is how important academics was. So he decided that, you know what, I'm going to continue to play at the college level. I'll get them to fix my knee. I'll do all that sort of stuff. But I'm not going to try and get my body battered 
just to play football. I'm going to get a quality education. I'm at a great school. It's got a great reputation. It will give me great entree into parts of the world that I've never been exposed to. And that's what he decided to do. He had the university pay for his knee, and he was done. He was done with his college. And my father has always said, well, I don't know why you didn't play at the uh, NFL level. My youngest brother is just like, because I didn't want to be hobbling through life for the rest of my life. It seems to him a very, very simple decision, but my father has always regretted that my brother didn't play at the level of the NFL. I basically played semi-pro for two years back in the late 1960s and early 70s. And I came to the conclusion, and I see it in my physical being today, because neither one of my hands right now will stretch out straight. They're all crooked. And I found out that even though I was a good college athlete, is my athletic ability did not even come close, other than my speed, to play at the next level. But I had the opportunity. Would I do things differently? Yes, I would. But then again, that is on a personal standpoint. But the student-athletes have got to remember is that, number one, playing athletics at the college level is a privilege. It is a privilege to play the game that you love. Any of the listeners that's listening to this conference call here today, I encourage every one of them to go out and rent a movie, and the movie is called Rudy. That is the perfect movie to illustrate that this young man had to succeed academically first to play for the University of Notre Dame, and he wanted to play knowing that he would never set foot on the NFL field, but he wanted to just play one game in one game only because he loved the game of football. So that right there in itself is what collegiate athletics is all about. Do other individuals go on to the next level? By all means, they do. But it is a very, very small percentage. So the student, once again, must basically go to college for the intent first of getting an academic education to make sure that they can provide a standard of living with the degree program that they have selected. Then secondly, enjoy your college life by playing athletics and enjoying it at that level. Great advice, Chuck. It's been great advice. Let me just kind of back up and ask. I think every student out there is hoping to get a full-ride scholarship where it's renewable, it's going to take them all four years. What other options students and their parents have if they don't get the full-ride scholarships that they're looking for? Okay. As I had mentioned a few minutes ago about things happening academically, health-wise, injury, not being satisfied with the playing time, these things occur more than what a lot of individual families think they do. So therefore, what I normally recommend individuals to do is have a game plan B. Game plan A is the process of going in and hoping to get an athletic scholarship. But, once again, there is no assurance and there is no guarantee that the athlete is going to get a full athletic scholarship. They could get a partial athletic scholarship. So what about the additional cost of the education that is above and beyond the athletic scholarship? Therefore, there's where game plan B comes in, is that once the student athlete 
thinks or has a good idea that they're going to get one, then the parents need to sit down with a competent, certified college consultant and sit down and put a game plan together to show the parents how to pay for the remaining costs without relying on other forms of financial aid. And there's very few out there that has the educational background to assist in doing that. So you need to do your research on that as well. If the individual student, once again, were to lose the scholarship, what are you going to do? There's where game plan B comes in. So you need to have a game plan A and a game plan B to offset any type of misfortunes that may come around while the student athlete is in college. And a lot of people basically can relate to this, just like if you're watching a basketball for some reason or another, and then all of a sudden they interview the individual college coach at halftime. And they say, Coach, your defense seems like it's not doing such and such and such and such. What are you planning on doing the second half? And a lot of people have heard this, is that, well, I guess we're going to have to go to game plan B. So a college coach or a high school coach or even uh, elementary schools and middle schools and such, they don't go in with just one game plan. They have at least another game plan and possibly uh, two game plans in case the first game plan A does not succeed. So therefore, that is what these parents of student-athletes also need to incorporate. You always have to play the what-if games. Getting back also to answer, because I didn't answer your question, Felicia, on the individual students that are seniors in high school, I want to come back with that, is that if for some reason the student athlete is not recruited and get a athletic scholarship, should they just ditch it, not play or whatever, they do have an opportunity to possibly go in and walk on to a college and basically walk on the team and hopefully within, if they make the team, hopefully within their sophomore or junior year, they could potentially be on a full athletic scholarship. So just because you're not being recruited in the high school year does not mean that you can't play at the next level. You're just going about it in a harder way, basically coming in and making the team. So I don't want to discourage any individual seniors that are not getting the exposure they want or whatever, that they can succeed but it's going to take a little bit more work in basically qualifying to play on the team. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Well, how much should high school and summer league coaches be involved in the marketing process for scholar-athletes? I have seen complaints from has an individual student that is a good athlete and such blame their high school coaches or blame their summer league coaches for the reason that their kid is not getting noticed or their kid is not getting offers from scholarships. Now, you have to look and realize what type of job position these individual high school, particularly high school coaches, are involved in. Number one, the majority of them are probably teachers in the high school. They do not have enough time in the day to concentrate on every student athlete that is playing for their team. For example, if you've got 60 on a football team, he cannot personally hand-pick or handle each and every individual student on their football team and help them in this marketing process. 
It's very similar to a guidance counselor, for example. I hear from parents all the time, well, you know, my guidance counselor didn't help us whatsoever in getting money to help pay for the cost of a college education. What are these people hired to do? Well, they don't realize that guidance counselors may wear six or seven different hats, and they're dealing with hundreds of kids that it is physically impossible for them to go out and assist every student that is in their high school or their senior class. It's the same way with a high school coach or a summer league coach. They're going to promote the highest quality athlete they have and help them as much as they have. But if you've got another fella down here or lady that could or has the potential of playing at the next level but not up to the athletic skills of the blue chip athlete or whatever, they don't have enough time to do it. Will they help you if you ask them? Yes, they will help you basically put a letter of recommendation by the coach and such like that or may give you a little bit of advice. But they don't have enough time in the day to spend on basically helping them individually like what they could by taking maybe two or three of their premium-type athletes and help promote them. It's physically and mentally impossible for them to do so. And that is the reason why I emphasize that the individual student-athlete must take a proactive role, take the bull by the horns, and do it themselves. Don't rely on anyone else but yourself and your parents and seek out as much professional help in this area as they possibly can. Oh, wow. That sounds like great advice also. So let me ask you, are there any common misconceptions that student-athletes and their families are under and you see all the time? Misconcepts in relationship evaluating the talent level of the student is the biggest one. Like I had said earlier. I think that's a dagger to the heart of a, <laughs> of, all, of a lot of the parents listening. Well, every parent feels like their son is the greatest athlete in the world. The majority of them do. And I was the same way with my girls. But stepping back and getting an unbiased opinion, if you feel like your student athlete has the athletic ability to play at the next level, go out and get another opinion from someone that will give you an unbiased opinion on their athletic abilities and whether or not they feel like they can play at the next level. Doing this as early in the high school year is preferable because these individuals, it could be a competitive coach from another high school or a summer league coach that the kid isn't playing for, get their opinions. And then once the evaluation is made, then ask this individual. He could, you know, he or she could be a past college athlete. They could be an opposition coach, someone that is not close to the student. And they can come in and say, listen, yes, you do have athletic ability, but here are your weak points, and here's what you need to work on to improve your weak points to increase your capability of being recruited at the next level. So don't just rely on what mom and dad thinks little Sally or little Johnny athletic ability is. You need to get another opinion from another source that will come in and basically level with you and come in and say, well, listen, I see your son or daughter really has trouble sitting here chewing gum and walking across the floor without falling over on themselves. <laughs> so you need to find out from another source other than what mom and dad thinks. Yes. Yes, I imagine you do. 
So let me just ask you a last couple of questions, Chuck. This has been absolutely invaluable, and I can't imagine that parents and students who are listening to this aren't going to find lots of little nuggets that they can take into their lives. But one of the things that I hear of and people ask me all the time is scholarships. They're expecting the scholarships to be tax-free. You know, you get the money, it's tax-free. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, and here's where a lot of individuals are missing out on what the definition of a scholarship is. And I want to emphasize this. This doesn't particularly pertain strictly to athletic scholarships. It could be any type of scholarship, whether or not it's need-based scholarships, merit-based scholarships, academic scholarships, music scholarships, athletic scholarship. A scholarship is a scholarship. The high schools and colleges render out scholarship based off of two factors, and that is based off of the need of the family to pay for the education, and the other aspect is on the merit of the student, whether or not academic or on a special talent like athletics. Well, this is a fine definition, and this is what is being taught and portrayed out in our general community. But the definition of scholarships on the way that they're giving it is not the definition that the parents and the students need to be relying on. Another definition is directly from the Internal Revenue Service. The Internal Revenue Service does not care whether or not the scholarship was given out based off of need or merit. That has no meaning to them whatsoever. They qualify scholarships in two different forms. Is the scholarship qualified? Or is the scholarship non-qualified? And here's where the assistance from a competent college consultant can help you in determining how the IRS is going to deem what type of scholarship this is based off the IRS laws and regulations. Now, what does that really matter, whether or not it's qualified or non-qualified? is that, number one, it depends on how the family and the students elect to use that scholarship. If an individual athlete or non-athlete were to get a full scholarship at XYZ University, most individuals will be surprised to find out that two-thirds of that scholarship that their son or daughter has received will have to be claimed as taxable compensation in the year that it is given to the student-athlete. So therefore, two-thirds of that money now becomes taxable to the individual student. Only one-third is tax-free. Now, a lot of you out there will sit and say, well, what is qualified and what is non-qualified? According to the IRS, A qualified scholarship, athletic or academic or need, is defined as a scholarship or a pool of money that is used to pay for qualified expenses. Qualified expenses, according to the IRS, is tuition and fees and necessary cost in order to get a degree or professional certification. A non-qualified scholarship is a scholarship that is used to pay room and board and personal expenses. So therefore, you need to know the definition and how to incorporate or use the scholarship, particularly when you're an individual student athlete 
or non-athlete is getting only a partial scholarship because it will dictate whether or not you as the mom and dad can actually end up with an additional 9000 or more dollars in your pocket directly from the Internal Revenue Service under what is called the HOPE and the Lifetime Tax Credit or the Educational Tax Deduction. So there's where the complexity comes in. Just getting a scholarship is just the first step. The next step is to find out how to utilize what you're receiving from these colleges and universities in order to go ahead and cover the remaining cost. I had written an article for the uh, National EA Journal out of Chicago. This is EA stands for Enrolled Agents. These are CPAs or attorneys or whatever that can practice under the tax laws in front of the Internal Revenue Service. It was a lead article on scholarships and grants, taxable or tax-free. And I had received numerous calls across the United States from these individuals that are professionals within the tax realm calling me and said that they didn't even realize this is the way scholarships basically were treated. So if the professionals out there are not aware of how all of these scholarships and grants and fellowships work, then how are you going to get the assistance from a competent CPA? So there's where, once again, a good competent college consultant that is certified, that understands and specializes in this area, can be a very, very viable source for you to sit down and talk to and interview. And I emphasize interview and making sure that they're competent with the suggestions that they basically give you. Wow. Those are excellent, excellent things for parents to understand. So they don't need to just be excited and happy that they received a scholarship. They now need to know a little bit more about the scholarship and know whether or not they are going to have a qualified scholarship or a non-qualified scholarship. And really the only way to know that is from what you shared with us is talking with a qualified, certified college consultant. That is correct. And another thing here, always keep in mind, and this almost holds true for most middle-income families out there, and a lot of them are going to be, how can I put it, surprised to hear this, is that normally a taxable scholarship is more beneficial than a tax-free scholarship. And well, how would that work, Chuck? That doesn't make any sense. For a reason here, okay? Depending on the income levels of the family, okay, the IRS has what they call income guidelines when it comes to the availability of the HOPE and the lifetime tax credit. Any monies paid directly out of pocket or through investments or whatever that is paid towards tuition and fees and necessary costs, like I had mentioned before, that the individuals, as long as their income is within a certain range, which will vary from one year to the next because it changes, will qualify for what is called the HOPE and the Lifetime Tax Credit or possibility of the Educational Tax Deduction. And that amount for each year could be as low as 1000 or the max, rather, for the HOPE, would be $1,650 for the tax year 2008 or up to $2,000 worth of tax credits that is deducted right directly off of their federal income tax liability. So therefore, if the parents do not know how to utilize a scholarship, 
they could actually eliminate themselves from receiving this particular benefit directly from the IRS. To give you a perfect example, if your son or daughter were to get a $5,000 athletic scholarship, the scholarship that is normally given out, the athletic scholarship, can be used for any educational expenses. It does not have to be used for tuition and fees. It goes into the billing that the colleges and universities rendered out. So if the individual student and their family has a certain income level, they can come in and pay, let's say, $6,000 from a Stafford loan and maybe some additional savings in a mutual fund or whatever and use those dollars to pay for the tuition and fees and necessary cost. They then can dictate the $5,000 scholarship to be used to come over here and pay for the room and board. So if they do that, then the parents automatically can qualify, once again, if their income is within certain limits, can qualify up to $1,650 directly from the IRS under the HOPE or $2,000 through the lifetime tax credits. Now, once again, the student has to claim the $5,000 as taxable income. But will they have to pay tax on it? They have to claim it whenever they fill their tax returns out, but the individual student under the present tax laws would not have to pay one penny of federal income taxes on that because of their standard deduction. So therefore, the scholarship will still remain tax-free, but you have to notify the Internal Revenue Service that you're claiming this as taxable income in order for the parent to get the HOPE or the lifetime tax credit or the educational deduction. And I know I've just confused everyone out there. <laughs> you know, I, I study this, and I'm an expert at this, and I followed it, but I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure that everybody else has. That's true. So basically the bottom line is is there's more complexity to the issue than perhaps a lot of parents are thinking there is in terms of tax credits and scholarships and all the rest of that. And bottom line, what we believe is we believe that the way that you're going to understand that is sitting down with a qualified, certified college planning consultant, and they can help you with this issue. That is correct, and they also can help coordinate these benefits directly with your CPA. Perfect. Uh, and working with the CPA in relationship of uh, arranging the individual students or and or parents' income tax returns to make sure that they're getting all the benefits that they could potentially qualify for under the IRS laws and regulations. All right. So, Chuck, we've come quite a ways, and we've had some great information. I just want to know, do you have any final thoughts as far as student-athletes, their families, scholarships, the whole nine yards? Just sum up for me some final thoughts in this area, please. Okay. One of the things that I would definitely emphasize, like I had emphasized at the beginning of this interview, is that, number one, academics come first. Athletics come second. Number two, make sure that you have two game plans established. Have a game plan of getting as much athletic monies as you possibly can based off of the athletic ability of the student, and make sure that you put game plan B together to make sure that if something happens, 
that you will have the means to go ahead and pay for the remaining cost or the full cost of the education without relying on other forms of financial aid. Number three, make sure that the individual student-athlete takes a proactive role in their marketing process. They have to do it themselves. Do not rely on the majority of your help from your individual high school coaches or your summer league coaches. They do not have the time. So, therefore, you have to take a proactive approach and take it by the bull of the horns and basically do it yourself making sure that you get competent advice whenever it comes to different types of tax issues from a competent individual, and basically making sure that you come back in and make the appropriate decisions in favor of your financial situations. If you're going to sit back and pay anywhere between 75000 up to, let's say, $160,000, you have to take the time to make sure that you've got something incorporated or a game plan or a guideline to help keep your costs down to a minimum. And if you do not, here's what's going to happen. And I promise everyone out there, this is what's going to occur, is that if your student athlete does not get a substantial amount of athletic scholarships, here's what normally happens. Mom and dad are going to end up in a tremendous amount of debt trying to pay for the remaining cost of the education as well as the student. We do not like to see students graduate from college with debts of anywhere between, let's say, $23,000 and above and stepping out into our society today with more debt than what we graduated with, and I'm talking about the parents here, that when they went through college. The arena of the college consulting or planning business is totally and completely different than what it was back in the 70s and 80s. It is a different type of system. So therefore, get as much knowledge as you can, go through the process, making sure that you basically control the process and get advice from competent individuals that can possibly help you through the situation. So that's what I would recommend. Well, Chuck, some great information. I thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure that it helped and enhanced as they think about scholarships and student athletes and that whole process. So thank you very much for your time today. Okay. Thank you, Felicia. If there's anything I can help you with, you just let me know. I certainly will. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast. 